We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 today, Revelation chapter 3. My name is Zach, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and we are in a teaching series called Hosting God's Presence, Hosting God's Presence. This is week three of the series, the final week of learning. We're, we're gonna, we've always got room to learn, we've always got room to grow, but we're going to wrap this section of talks up today. And we've been looking at Revelation chapter 3, so I encourage you to take out your Bibles uh, you can, if you don't have one, you can find one in the seat underneath, uh, the, the rack underneath the seat in front of you. Pull out your phone, scroll, open your app, whatever it may be. Uh, we want to look at God's word, Revelation chapter 3. While you're opening, I want to point your attention just to a couple things that are on the horizon. Some short-term mission trips we are going to be taking this summer. We believe that we have a calling as children of God to be a part of building God's kingdom here in our city in our nation, and the nations of the earth. And one of the ways that we do that is through short-term mission trips. So this afternoon, right after this service, there is an interest meeting for the trip that's going to Golden Shores. We've been talking about it for several months, and if you're like, man, I, I think that is the place for me, I want to hear about that, that's going to be meeting in classroom two right after this service. You can bring your food, you can go pick up some food and come back, and they're going to be talking about this trip. If you're interested in going to Tijuana, Mexico to work with our sister church there, uh, the interest meeting for that is next Sunday at 5, next Sunday at 5, and that information is also on our website. I would love for you to jump into a short-term trip. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus speaking. He's speaking to the church, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. So Jesus is speaking to his church, and what we've learned here is he's using a metaphor of hosting. He said, I want you to invite me in. I'm knocking, I'm calling, but there's a responsibility on your part to open up the door to me, to open up the door in a fresh way to my presence. I want to come in and to be with you, to dine with you, uh, to dwell with you and you with me, but it requires you opening up and learning how to host God's presence. That's what we're talking about. That was his word to the church. And I believe that's a word to every church and every believer, an invitation that's given to us all. Now the goal is John 15. More words of Jesus, and I'll put that scripture up, or we'll put that scripture up on the screen. Jesus speaking, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the idea of what Jesus wants us to see is when we come to Christ and we're in him, he's the vine, we're the branches, right? Our job is not to try and force our way in. Our job is to remain in what Jesus has already done for us, that his death and resurrection is enough for us. You don't have to work your way into the presence of God. Jesus has made a way, right? And our goal is to abide or to remain or to have this ever-present awareness of God's presence with us in our midst. The challenge is we're very frail, or at least I am. I get easily distracted. I imagine you do too. I get easily discouraged. I imagine you do too. I get easily disinterested. I imagine you do too. I can easily fill in the disc, right? We've got all these things pulling against us that kind of, we drift away. And it's not that the Lord ever leaves us. It's not that we ever, like, we got to figure out a way to get back in. No, no, no. But there is this thing that we need that he's speaking about in Revelation 3 of this 
returning to him and opening our heart to him again and again and again and again. And that's what we're going to learn about today. When I take my kids out in public, as I've told you a number of times, if we go into uh, the Dallas Mavericks game or North Park Mall or fill in the blank, right, I always tell them, hey, we're going to stay together. But if we get disconnected, if you can't find me, right, meet me here. And we set a spot. It's like, this is our spot. Meet me here if you need me, right? And there are several places in Scripture where the Lord Jesus gives to us, his people, places to meet me here. When you get knocked around by life, when you get distracted, when you get disinterested, when you get discouraged, and it's like, God, where's your presence? God, I need you. Right? He's saying, hey, meet me here. Meet me here. Like a father would say to his children, I want to meet you here. You can find me right here. This is where I'll be. I'm looking for you. And I want to take you into those uh, places and those practices uh, for us today. Because my hope is that this is not an information transfer to you, but this morning is experiential. That we learn and grow in hosting God's presence together. Now I need to ask one thing from you. I went to private school growing up. I realized that was a very limited experience. Uh, who many, how many private school folks that we have in here. Okay, we got a few. Now the deal in private school is when you're in the class, you're supposed to sit there and be quiet and let the teacher talk and you just take notes. You need to be respectful. In private school, we pass notes under the table, right? But, but we're respectful at an exterior level. When I taught, uh, I taught at a charter school for kids with problems who were from middle school. They were middle school aged and they couldn't stay at their homes anymore, so they had to go stay at this group home, and I had to teach them math. Math is a difficult subject. Math in middle school is a very difficult subject. Math to middle schoolers with emotional disorders and learning disorders and kind of life trauma is even more challenging, right? But what I learned about middle school kids at this particular home, at this particular school, was that they weren't going to sit there and just be like, right? They, if they liked something, they were going to let me know. They're like, yeah, okay. If they didn't like something, they were going to let me know too. They were going to laugh. They were going to complain. I got a couple of death threats uh, while I was teaching there. I'm going to cut your brakes, Mr. Daniel. I don't know if you actually know how to do that or not, but I wouldn't put it past you, right? <laughs> now, listen, I, I'm not wanting you guys to give me any death threats, okay? What I would like for you to do is to shift out of kind of private school. Let me just sit here and be quiet and whatever. I, I want you to shift into middle school with kids, with problems, because we all have problems, right? Talking about math, which is like, huh? We're talking about the presence of God. It came like, huh? Right? And just let, let's interact back and forth, okay? Let's interact back and forth. Middle school is my favorite age to teach. High school, they have to be too cool for school. You have to pull your hat down. I understand if you're in high school, I feel you. you got to impress the girl that's right there. I get it. Middle school, they don't have that yet, right? So they still like the teachers, and that was great. Okay, hosting God's presence. Uh, so <clears throat> we've identified the problem is, yes, we want to abide with the Lord. And Jesus brought us into his presence. We get distracted. We get discouraged. We get dismayed. We get thrown off course. So, so how do we kind of re-engage or enter back in? Where do we meet the Lord? And I want to walk you through several meet-me-here places from Scripture that you can take and we can take and we can work on together as ways to meet with the Lord. Now, I can't list all of them, so I may not get your pet thing, 
right, that you just love. But I did try and pick what are some of the basics that Scripture is very clear on that I think is a great place to get started if you're new to all this, okay? And I don't know that you ever graduate from what I'm about to give you. Like, I think even when we're like a thousand years in Jesus, it's still going to be these things, okay? So first place uh, to meet me here that Jesus tells us is in the church. The first place where if we need to encounter the presence of the Lord, it's amongst his people. Now, we just read from Revelation 3. Okay, a couple of you got the middle school deal. I'm waiting on the rest of you, right? A little more talking. We got Revelation 3. Jesus said, I'm standing here. I'm knocking. I want to come in. Revelation chapter 1, the opening of that book of the Bible. The apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, is describing kind of the opening scene. And I want to take you there. So turn in your Bibles to Revelation 1. We're going to be in verse 12. Uh, If you want to take notes on these meet me here places, we've got journals in the seat back in front of you. Uh, You can take notes on your phone. But I'd encourage you to write these down and then think about what's God calling you to do with these words. First place, meet me here, is the church. This is John speaking. He said, I'm in the spirit on the Lord's day. Right? So he's meeting with the Lord and he hears a voice calling to him. And he turns around, verse 12, he said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. That's going to be important. So, Marshall, could you go get the lampstands for me? We're going to act this out a little bit. Uh, I don't have real gold lampstands. I have lampstands that look like they're gold. And I don't have them from 2,000 years ago. I have them from maybe two years ago uh, when we moved into the church. But they'll do. We don't have seven. We have two. No prophetic symbols. Uh, you know, it just is what it is. Okay. So John's describing this vision. He said, first, I see these seven golden lampstands. I'm sure his did not look like this, but you get the idea, right? Seven lampstands. And then he said, among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And he goes on to describe the ascended Jesus. Jesus, post-resurrection, ascended to the Father. And he's going to give this incredible description of Jesus. And he says, one like the Son of Man. He was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. He had a golden sash on his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. He sees the Lord Jesus standing amongst these lampstands. And Jesus is saying, I want you to write down what I'm about to show you. And then John goes on to say the Lord told him, look, this is the, the, um, sorry, I'm going to show you the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands. It's this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And this is what I want to make sure you see. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So these are the seven churches that that, uh, Jesus is giving John a word for to deliver to them. 
But the picture is there are these lampstands that represent churches, the churches of Jesus in that generation. And Jesus is there standing in their midst. Jesus is there standing in the midst of his people. Jesus is there standing in the midst of his church. When we want to encounter the Lord, when we want to, God, I need your presence, he's saying, meet me here amongst my people. Jesus is standing in the presence of the church. Now, I realized uh, I was talking with an individual about his kind of religious background this week. And he said, you know, it's complicated. I have a complicated relationship with the church. And I realized when I bring this up, many of us have complicated relationships with the church, right? Uh, you have, man, I went to this place, and that was weird, and these people did things that were wrong, and all, all that, right? When I look through church history, there's so much that's grievous, and I believe grievous to the Lord, it makes me think, gosh, Lord, how do you even stick with us, right? But nevertheless, these churches that Jesus is about to speak to, they all have significant problems. They have doctrinal problems. They have relational problems. They have spiritual problems. They have all sorts of problems. And Jesus is in their midst, and he's not condoning what's going on. He speaks very directly, and he is confronting them, and he is rebuking them, and he is challenging them. But don't miss this. Jesus is present amongst his people. Jesus is present amongst his churches that have lots of problems. That's like a category blower, right? Jesus is present amongst his people. And that gives me hope for all my problems and all my dysfunction. And it should give you hope for all your problems and your dysfunction. That Jesus is so gracious that he will meet with us even when we don't have our act together. He loves us that much. Jesus is present amongst his churches, is amongst the church. When we come together on Sunday morning, when we gather as the people of God, we're not just living out of habit. We're not just kind of, well, I do this deal or come to be around community. No, no, no. We've come to encounter the presence of Jesus together. And when we scatter into life groups throughout the week, when we scatter onto serve teams, we go out to meet with the Lord, to encounter the Lord's presence amongst his people. My wife's name is Christina. Uh, you might often hear her called Tina. It's because her younger sister couldn't say the whole thing when she was little. She could get out Tina, so that's kind of her name, but you can call her Christina or Tina. Either way, there's not like an inner circle that now you graduate to be able to call her Tina. It just is, that's just how she is. But sometimes people are like, do you have two wives? Because you talk about Christina and you talk about Tina. What? Just so you know, right? Got, got one wife. Uh, so there. Anyway. There was a time when Christina and I were two different entities. People would refer to Christina. People would refer to Zach. When we got married, this weird thing began to happen. Is that people, I realized people met us after we got married. All they knew was Zach and Tina. It was kind of like peanut butter and jelly. They just were there. And I was like, this is so weird. Like I had all this, you know, time before, but now it's just Zach and Tina. Or Zach and Christina, right? We're, we're married. We're kind of referred to as one entity. Jesus speaks about the church as his bride. If you are looking for me and you don't know where I am, good chance if you can find Christina, 
I'm going to be with her or she's going to know where I am. If you're looking for Jesus, God, I need you, right, go to his bride. Because there is a good chance Jesus is going to be with his bride. And if he's not here, I sure hope we know where he is, okay? So in 1 Corinthians 14, we see this amazing picture of how this plays out in reality amongst the church. Of what this looks like kind of lived out, and I want to share it with you. 1 Corinthians 14 Verse 24, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, a church with lots of problems. And he's talking about the Lord's presence in their midst. And he's talking about the way that they as the church are to use their spiritual gifts. The way they are to use the grace that God has put in their life. The talents, the strengths that God has gifted them with in healthy ways. In ways when the church comes together and uses their gifts. In healthy ways when the church practices the power of God. In healthy ways This amazing environment is created. I want to read it to you. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone, note everyone, is prophesying. Prophecy is a spiritual gift. So everyone is moving in spiritual gifts. Everyone is practicing the gifts. The, The outsider or unbeliever, this is what happens. They are convicted of sin. They are brought under judgment by all. The secrets of their hearts are laid bare. Now you're like, ooh, that sounds like intense. I thought we wanted to be welcoming. I don't know, right? Just watch what happens. And they fall down on their face and they worship God. And they say, God is really among you. They come in. They're like, I don't know if God's real. I heard about these people. You know, someone invited me. Uh, I'm interested in Jesus. I don't know. They come in, and the church is using her spiritual gifts together, moved by the Spirit, practicing the power in healthy ways. And it creates a transformational environment for someone who doesn't know if God is real or someone who just feels way off, comes in and has such an encounter with the Lord amongst his people that there's worship going up, And there's, God is really here. This is amazing. I didn't know you were so real, Jesus. Right? Practicing the power. When the church comes together with their gifts, we create an environment through the power of the Holy Spirit where people encounter Jesus. Where people who don't know Jesus encounter Jesus. Where believers encounter Jesus. And just imagine if you were there on that day in that meeting where that happened. And you had this little, I don't know, you felt like the Lord gave you just like this little prompting to share, uh, to pray for someone or to share a prophetic word or to give someone $100 or whatever it may be. You just, this little thing, you weren't sure. It's not an open vision. You're not the Apostle John where it's like, look up here. Now there's seven golden lampstands. Not that. Just, just the little prompting of the Spirit. But he said, you know what, I'm just going to step out. I'm just going to use what I believe the Lord has given me. I'm going to do it humbly. I'm going to do it in love, right? But I'm just going to step out. And you gave someone a word. Or you prayed for someone. Or you gave someone some money. Or whatever it may be. You you welcomed them in. Whatever it may be, right? And then you saw the transforming power of the Lord transform their life in that moment. You would be amazed at what the Lord did through you. Not just what the Lord did to you, that's important, but what the Lord did through you. And I am so jealous for you 
to have that experience, for this not to be, oh, something I read about in the Bible, that would be cool if it happened, but I believe God wants to do it in our midst. I've experienced this a number of times where you just walk away and you're like, God, I cannot believe you just did that, and you just did it through me. That's so unbelievable, right? And I know many of you have had the same experience. And so we want to learn, because we want to host God's presence, we want to learn not just how to worship, we want to do that, but we want to learn how to practice the power of God in healthy ways, how to use our spiritual gifts to give people that experience where it's like Jesus is here amongst his people. This is so cool. So over the coming weeks, we're going to go into a teaching series from here. We're wrapping up this teaching series. We're moving into a new one next week called Practicing the Power. And we're going to talk about healthy ways for the church of Jesus to practice our spiritual gifts to create that type of environment for people to encounter the Lord. Sound fun? Okay, great. So you find Jesus saying, meet me here amongst the church, in the church. Second place that we meet the Lord that he calls us to, where he says, meet me here. Is in Scripture, in the Word of God. And I love this, and this is one of my favorites. Um, Joe, could you bring me my little, my little black box? Now, if, you, if your age starts with a one or a two, you have no idea what this is. I pulled this out in a staff meeting, and half the staff was like, what is, what is that right there? If your age is a three or above, you know, oh, these are your note cards that you learned vocabulary on or did your research paper with or whatever it may be, right? We remember these. I'm going old school today. You can do this with technology, but this is mine. So my box is a little broken, but in here, I've got all these note cards that I've just kind of put together over the years of just little scriptures about who God is, the character of God. A lot of them are yellow and dog-eared because they're old. I ran out of some note cards, so I used some blue graph paper at some point. Who knew there was blue graph paper, but I had some. So um, why am I showing you this? We're about to get interactive with that. But in John 5, 39, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to people who knew the word of God. And he's saying this. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So what's he saying? He's saying there's a group of people that have studied the word of God diligently. And he's not knocking studying the word of God. Studying the word of God is so important. When I try and teach people how to, how to kind of engage with God's word, it starts with study. We do DNA, discover the truth of God's word. Right, So we want commentaries and the Greek and the Hebrew. I mean, we want all that, right? You want to understand what the Word says. But Jesus says it's not just about kind of gaining knowledge up here that you need. He said you study the Scriptures diligently, thinking that in them you have eternal life. But it's the Scriptures who testify to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have eternal life. So what he's saying is the Word of God Yes, as Carol Hart taught us at World Mandate, it is basic instructions before leaving earth, right? There is so much practical wisdom in the Word of God that if we would read it and apply it to our lives, man, we would be blessed. But that's not all the Bible is. The Bible is also what Jesus is saying here. It's an arrow or a doorway or a portal. That sounds cool. A portal 
to meet with the Lord. Right? I'm reading one of my kids, The Chronicles of Narnia, and you know, you go through the, 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 the dresser and you enter into this new world, right? And, and this is a great illustration, right? The Word of God is like that dresser. Like, we open it up and it leads us into a world encountering Jesus. And so we're going to do that together. I had a mentor who showed me this, and uh, he said, you know, this is time to strap on your seatbelt. Here comes the glory of God, okay? So just act like you're putting on your seatbelt because we're about to have fun, right? And we're about to encounter the Lord in his glory. And what I do, uh, this is my kind of routine. Come over to my house at 530 in the morning. Uh, I'll be doing this. Got this scripture. We'll be looking at it, meditating on it. And I want to take you into what I do because this is one of the ways where the Lord says, meet me here, okay? So if you'll put that John 15 passage back up, what I do, I've got a lot of scriptures on here, but John 15 is on one of these. Uh, but let's just, let's go through this together. So I'll read it. I'm the vine, Jesus speaking. You are the branches. So he's the vine, I'm the branch. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'll read that, and I'll think about it a little bit. But my goal right now is not about mental acquisition of knowledge. I do that. I can show you on my computer all this stuff. But but my goal right here in this moment is I want to turn my attention to the Lord. I want to respond to what Jesus is saying as these scriptures point to me. They point you to me. You need to come to me to encounter eternal life. And so I'll read through it and I'll look for what word or phrase in this passage of scripture is sweet. What, What just stands out to me where I'm just like, Oh, man, there's something there. I'm sure you've all heard a song where there's just like a lyric in the song where you're just like, man, that I just plays over and over in my mind. In a similar way, but at a more spiritual level, it's like something that just stands out. And when you think about bees, because um, I'm sure all of you have been thinking a lot about bees. Uh, when you think about bees, right, they, they don't gather nectar just by flying over a bunch of flowers real fast. They, they stop on the flower that has the nectar, and they, with the nectar, right? And they fill, they fill up on it. And they feed themselves on it. When we're going through scripture, we're not wanting to move fast right now. We're wanting to be like a bee on a flower with nectar. And we're wanting to find the nectar in this passage. And the cool thing about God's word is it's living and active. So the thing that stands out to you today may not stand out to you tomorrow, but another thing will. Right, And so we're not going to exhaust it, but today the Holy Spirit has something for us because he wants to meet with us. Right, So I'll read through it, and I'll find what's the thing that just, there's something sweet there. And when I find something, right now it'll be, apart from me, you can do nothing. As I read that, I just am like, wow, it just, it just hits, Okay. I'm going to have you read it through in just a moment. I'm just going to walk you through what I do. So then I'll take that, and I'll just be like, I'll just sit with it. I'll I'll marinate on it if you're a griller. I'll marinate on it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing of worth, nothing that bears fruit, nothing that, that lasts. I need you. And I'll just kind of go over it, but I'm not trying to use a bunch of words just to say stuff, I'm trying to turn my attention to the Lord's presence. 
And then I'll just be silent and sit with this word and just let it feed my spirit. And as I do that, this literally will feed your spirit. I've done this so much over the last 20 years. It's my favorite way to encounter the Lord. And I'm so excited to take you into it. I'm almost like a kid at Christmas. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to read through it. Your phrase may not be what I said, but I want you to read through it and find the little thing that sticks out to you. And then I just want you to sit with it and let it point you to Jesus. Let it turn your attention to God's presence with you. Okay? So it's going to get quiet for a moment. That might be awkward for you, but it'll be okay. And we're just going to sit with God's word and we're going to encounter his presence together. Okay, so read through it and find that phrase for you. And then just meditate on it, marinate on it. Be like that bee with a nectar. just sense the presence of the Lord meeting with his people. And I'll sit with that for a minute, two minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it may be. Just as long as that sweetness is there, you just stay with it. And then at some point, it'll feel like, okay, it's just it's time to move on. It's time to maybe pick up another scripture or go to something new or whatever. But I want to encourage you. If you'll take this and begin to let scripture lead you into encountering, with the, encountering the Lord, you'll learn to meet him there, to experience the presence of God through the word of God. He's saying, meet me in the word. Third place that he's saying, meet me here, is affection-based obedience. Affection-based obedience. And I phrase it like that because it's important that you guys know that we can obey almost anything with all sorts of motives, right? We can grit our teeth and make ourselves do a lot of things, but what Jesus calls his people to is affection-based obedience, meaning out of our love for Jesus, we obey him. And I know that that's very unpopular kind of in our time of talking about obedience, but this is the heartbeat of Jesus. And when his people who love him obey his commands, he promises to meet with us there. John 14, 23, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So is that anyone who really loves me, the fruit of that is going to be obedience to my teaching, affection-based obedience. And then he said, and we, I'm um, sorry, uh, my Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we'll, we'll make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Wow. Now, just to make it clear, God loves every person on the whole planet. God doesn't just love the people who obey Jesus. We've got to read this scripture in context with the entire teaching of Jesus and of scripture. God loves everyone. And we don't earn our spot with him. We don't earn his coming to us and making his home with us. Jesus got that for us, okay? 
out of love for us. But there is this place of me out of my love for Jesus responding with obedience. And there is this very real tenderization that happens in my life and the life of a believer when we respond to the Lord with affection-based obedience where we begin to sense and experience the Father's love in greater ways. It tenderizes our heart. Affection-based obedience tenderizes our heart to the Lord and says that God will come with his presence to the person responding with affection-based obedience and will dwell with him, will make his home with him, will host his presence through responding to the Lord with affection-based obedience. Recently, on a day when it was cold and rainy, uh, the tire on my Suburban got a nail in it. It went flat. I put in two cans of Fix-A-Flat. It didn't do anything. I was like, it is so cold. I'm not that handy. I don't want to try and figure out how to do this out here in the rain. And I, I'm a, my insurance is with Geico. And they have a button on the app where if you press it, they'll send someone out as a part of the insurance to fix your tire or fix your car or whatever you need. It's awesome. Pressed it. The guy's there a short time later, and he's working on the car. And... Um, <clears throat> And I'm talking to him because I'm always fascinated by people who know a lot about cars because I just don't know a lot about cars. We have, who in here knows a lot about cars? We got, we got a half a hand. We got, yeah, Terry, you do. Okay, we got a few. Joshua, okay. We got a few people who know about cars. Most of us, right, we're like, man, I need that Geico. <laughs> I don't know about the insurance, but I just need that button if I get stuck, okay? So anyway, I'm fascinated by people that know a lot about cars. And so I was asking him, like, he, I mean, he walked up to my car. He was like, shh, shh, shh. And it's almost like he was a ninja. He knew things that were in my car that I didn't know were there. Like he's opening up compartments, and I'm like, huh, I didn't know that was there. And like, how do you know how to do all this stuff? Like, do you just watch YouTube all day long and just, you know, you're like a car wizard? I'm like, what is this? And it's interesting because if you ask someone who's an expert at something, they boil it down. They say, well, there's really about five problems that people call with, right? There's five things that I really know. Everything else, you know, I'd have to learn. But five things, man, these are going to be the five most common problems. If you ask anyone who's an expert, you're probably an expert in something, right, at your job. There are really about five things that you're an expert at that you can solve. And then everything else, you have to go to Google like the rest of us. As a pastor, one of the situations that I find I get called into a lot is not when someone's car broke down. If so, if, please don't call me if your car breaks down. Like <laughs> blind leading the blind. Uh, but, but sometimes when people's lives break down, right, they'll reach out. And I love that. I love that about my job, right? If you ever are in a thing where you're just like, gosh, it feels like the wheels are falling off. That's what the church is for. We're here to help you in times like that. We don't know all the answers, but Jesus does, and we can help you point to him. But one of the things that I find in trying to work with people when it's just like, man, the wheels are just coming off. One of the five deals, some of them are not their fault. Some of them sometimes are their fault. If it's their, if it's their responsibility, so often what I find is that somewhere along the way, right, they have hardened their heart to affection-based obedience. And there was something the Lord told them to do that they said, I am not doing that. There was a, a plan that the Lord gave them, a word the Lord spoke to them to get them out of the situation they were in, Right? To, to experience his grace and power, and, and they just said, I don't want to do that. that would, I'd have to humble myself to do that. I'd have to admit I was wrong. I'd have to be uncomfortable. I'd have to do whatever, right? It's one of those five things I just see, and that's why I want to tell you, even though it's not popular, right, and you're like, ooh, obedience, but it is so important as followers of Jesus. And if you're like, God, I, I want to 
experience your presence, one question I have for you is, have you obeyed the last thing he gave you to do? Because if we're hardening our hearts to him, we can worship, we can pray, we can give. But if we know there's something that the Lord has said, you need to do this or you need to stop doing this, and we've just said no to, right? We're just holding up a stiff arm to him. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. And we all have this choice all the time. This week I was in a conversation, and I felt that little prompting of the Holy Spirit, like, you need to say something. I was like, oh, it's going to be awkward. I don't really know. What if, it, you know, what if they get offended? All that stuff, right? And it was just like, no, I just, I love Jesus. I'm going to say it. It ended up being okay. But, right, we all have that choice each and every day, each and every week, and we want to respond with affection-based obedience, right? We don't, we don't earn or merit God's love or God's presence, right? Grace is opposed, I've heard, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort, right? There's a response that we have where where the Lord says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to confess this sin. I need you to go and confess this sin that you've been doing that no one knows about. I want you to go and I want you to confess it to someone. And we have to respond, right? And that may be like, i got to humble myself. But what the Lord wants to do is not to shame you, but to free you and to bring you into life. Affection-based obedience. Okay. Next place that we meet the Lord is in prayer. Meet me here in prayer. Acts 4, 24. When they heard this, this is the church, uh, they'd heard these threats that were going. They raised their voice to God in prayer. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, I've been through a ton of prayer meetings. Sometimes they're awesome and it feels like, wow, this place could shake right now. Just amazing. And then some are very, very boring. Some, you look and you're like, oh my goodness, there's 47 more minutes uh, of very boring prayer in front of me and I don't know what to do. And I'm a pastor and I feel that way, okay? So I know, right? Sometimes there are very unanointed prayer meetings, but that doesn't mean that the Lord is not there. Right? The Lord is there when his people pray. And we did a prayer service a couple weeks ago. I got so much positive response from you all on it. We're going to try and figure out ways to do more. We are a praying church. And one person came to me and said, hey, this was new to me. Like, this was a stretch for me. I've never quite prayed like, like this. But I took that step. And, oh, my goodness, all week long, I've just been sensing God's presence. It's amazing. Prayer is awesome. Right? We want to be a people of prayer. Okay, next meet me here is gratitude. Gratitude, thankfulness. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise to his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So here it says that thankfulness is the way that we come into the courts of the Lord, right? Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Enter his gates, or enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. So we're just gonna practice this right now. We're gonna, if we could put like a 60-second timer up on, the, up on the screens, I'm going to challenge you to take out your phone, your journal, uh, something that you can transcribe something with, and we're going to spend 60 seconds just thanking the Lord. Think about things that you're thankful for in your life because the Lord has told us this is a pathway, this is a place to meet him here in gratitude. Several years ago, I felt convicted on this, and I, I, I set a timer on my watch to beep, right, or to beep like a minute or two before the hour, like a little alarm go off, so that I would get in the habit of being thankful 
to the Lord throughout the day. And I can't tell you how much that shifted my just emotional chemistry towards experiencing God's presence, hosting his presence. So if we can put a 60-second timer up, go for it. All right, way to go. Give yourself a hand, a minute of being grateful. Come on. That's awesome. Gratitude. It's a place to meet with the Lord. The last one that I have for you is what I shared at the beginning is worship, right? In worship, we meet with the Lord. And these are ways that God has given us in Scripture to meet him, to meet me here. And so as we leave today, I want you to think about what's one of these or two of these that you're like, man, this is something that that I want to be about and I want to respond to and I want to incorporate more in my life as we learn together how to host God's presence in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, and in our city. So I want to lead us in time of going to God together. And if you'll stand, the way we're going to go to God is by taking communion together. In just a moment, the officiants will come forward with the bread and the cup. And they'll be up here and the worship team will lead us. And when you're ready, you can come forward and take of the bread and the cup. And with the bread, we remember Jesus' body broken for us. With the cup, we remember his blood poured out for us. Return to your seats. And then take communion and meet with the Lord. And respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. But before we do that, I know that each and every week, we have people in our midst who don't know Jesus. You'd say, I, I'm interested, I'm, I'm here, someone invited me, but I've never made that decision to follow Jesus, to make him Lord of my life. Or you might have done that when you were a kid at a Sunday school or something like that, and it's just been a long time, and you've gotten off track, and you're trying to make your way back to God. And I want to take just a moment, because our heartbeat as a church is that we think that Jesus is the greatest treasure. And the greatest way we could show you love and the greatest gift we could give to you is to explain how you can come to know Jesus. And so I want to share that with you for just a moment before we take communion. If you look at the world around us, you see brokenness everywhere. Like literally every headline you read, you see brokenness, pain, and sorrow. And so often when we look in our own hearts, we see the same thing, brokenness, pain, and sorrow. But what Jesus teaches us is that life was not meant to be like that, nor was it always like that. Jesus teaches us that God created the world and he created every person on the planet. He created you. He created the person halfway around the world. He created every person who ever lived with intentionality, with love, with the desire for us to flourish, with the resources to flourish, made for relationship with God and relationship with one another. But mankind, Adam and Eve, turned from God I said, hey, 
we don't want to do things your way. We want to take life into our own hands. We want to be the captain of our own ship. We want to drive our own car. We want to do things on our own terms. Right? And when they turned from God, and we've all turned from God in that way, we've all taken life into our own hands, said, God, I'm going to do it from here. Right? When we do that, that's what the Bible calls sin. And just like any choice, there are consequences, for better or worse, that come with choices. And the consequence for sin, what flows out from sin, is destruction, pain, and sorrow. Sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. And people try all sorts of things to get out of the sin and the brokenness and the pain that's all around us. They try money. They try job success. They try relationships. They try fitness. Uh, we could probably pleasure. Try all sorts of things. And they may provide a momentary high, right? But then you're right back to the pain and the emptiness and the brokenness that was there all along. But God loved us so much that he didn't leave us in our sin and our pain and our brokenness. But he came in Jesus, God with skin on, came and lived amongst us, came to redeem us, to renew us, to restore us, and to bring us home to the Father. To restore us from the sin that we were in and make us new and restore us back to God's original design. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took on the weight and the pain of sin for the whole world. Every sin you've done, every sin I've done, he took it on himself that we might have forgiveness of sin. And when he rose again on the third day, he broke the power of death, the power of the devil over our lives and offers us new life with the Father, with him, with the Holy Spirit, and with his people, restored to God's purposes for our lives. But to receive that gift, you have to respond. How do you respond? You, you respond by saying, Jesus, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I repent from me being in charge and being the one who calls all the shots. I want you to be my Lord. I want to follow you. Right? You repent and you commit to follow him as Lord. And when you do that, it releases this transformation in your heart. You begin to experience the forgiveness of sin and the grace of God and the restoration that Jesus has for you. And so if you're here today and you're like, maybe you knew that story, but you've never taken that step of response, I want to give you an opportunity to do that by raising your hand in just a moment. Or if you have been away from the Lord for a long time and you're coming back, I want you to raise your hand. God's not looking for you to clean yourself up. God's not looking for you to get perfect. God's not looking for you to get all your ducks in a row. He comes to us in our mess, and he's the one that cleans us up and restores us. It's by grace. And so if that's you, if I get everyone just to bow your heads for just a moment. And if that's you, if you'll raise your hand, I want to pray a short prayer with you. I'm not going to call you up on stage. We're not going to call you out. No one's really going to look at you. But this is just an opportunity to respond to the Lord by faith. So again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you're wanting to make Jesus Lord, you'd raise your hand. I want to pray a simple prayer with you. Or if you're wanting to come back and recommit your life to Christ, just lift your hand up in the air.
Uh, if you have your hand up in the air, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Church, I'd encourage you to enter in with us. It's a great prayer to pray, and then we're going to take communion. The words of the prayer aren't that important. God sees your heart, and he knows what's there, so don't worry if you don't get them all right. He's seeing your heart. Jesus, you're awesome. Jesus, you're amazing. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Thank you that you rose again to give me new life. I choose to follow you this day and every day forward for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time and you're committing to the Lord, that's such a significant step and we're so excited for you. As we come to take communion, the worship team is going to lead us and you can come forward when you're ready to meet with the Lord.